This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Coo Cullen, Deirdre of the Sorrows, Grawn, New Whale. From giants right down to fairies, about the trooping and solitary, and close to us, sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, the Merrow Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore and mythology, we retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, the culture and the history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan. I'm your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 196 of Fireside. Today on the Irish storytelling podcast, we have a tale of giants on the southwest coast of Ireland. This is the tale of the giant stairs. But before we get on to that, a very big welcome to any new and indeed returning listeners. If you're a new listener and you like this episode, why don't you keep heading back throughout the journey of Fireside over the past four years and see what we've been building up to on our journey beg your pardon, our journey through folklore and mythology and legend and many things in between. And if you're a returning listener, as always, thank you so, so much for your continued support. All the ways you can support this podcast, usually you can follow me over on Instagram at Fireside Bar. That's the best place to get in touch if you want to send me a message, if you have any requests, comments, queries, complaints, anything like that. Facebook is the best place, or Instagram is the best place to get me there. If you're not on social media, you can email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com for any inquiries um, you can share this episode on your story on Instagram or on any of your social media spread the good name of Fireside the podcast still continues to grow this far into its into its existence and I hope that it continues to do so I'm very proud of the the listenership that we have cultivated and the community that we have created together but there is always room for more and the farther and wider that Fireside can spread um, makes it all the easier for me to keep going with it into the future. So thank you so much for that support. Another way is you can buy my book, my poetry book, A Neomyth of Home, Garden Sea, which we had the official launch for uh, the week before last, which I spoke about on last week's episode. Thank you again to all those who came along to it. You can buy the book in in paperback from the Headstuff website or in Kindle version directly from Amazon. All of the links are in the description below. And if you want to support the podcast directly, you can do so by joining Headstuff Plus at headstuffpodcast.com, where for as little as five euro a month, although you can pay more if you want, you can gain access to bonus material, not just for Fireside, but for all of the podcasts on the Headstuff Podcast Network and more of them there are the whole time. The story for this week is taken from the WB Yeats collection, the original the original text that I used for this podcast. I've had it in a couple of different editions, but actually it's uh, it's my birthday next week and I'm coming to you, I'm recording from the Knightsbrook Hotel in Trim County Meath in the Hugh DeLacy suite where we rehearse. We're currently in rehearsals for World of Musicals uh, for a short tour of New Zealand that'll take me up to Christmas. 
So I'm just about to head on the road. So I'm recording the last couple of episodes before we fly on Thursday. Um, so I'm recording it from our rehearsal room now, which is quite heavily carpeted. So I'm hoping it'll have a good acoustic or a good audible quality. And um, one of the members of the cast, a very dear friend of mine, Leah, got me this beautiful, beautiful edition of the WB Yeats Fairy, Fairy and Folk Tales of Ireland. Um, it's a more recent version of it, I think. Arcturus is the uh, publisher, but it just really looks like a spell book or an old grim fairy tale book. I'll put the link in the description of it below because it's an absolutely gorgeous edition of a book I already loved with added illustrations and everything, and it's really, really stunning. I'd highly recommend it. And so this tale and the next three or four that I'm doing um, are all coming from this, um, so this that is the source that is linked. And so as I've been delving back into these original sources which are categorized in the books so it's categorized by solitary fairies trooping fairies giants witches priests and sinners kings legends all that kind of thing and i've been looking back through them and i've been looking at the sections where some of the earliest episodes of fireside came from and i've been just trying to think what what haven't we had a story about in a while? You know, we did some ep- stories on marrows and changelings and giants in the early episodes. So while I look for another big kind of legendary series to do in our mythic episodes bi-weekly, um, I've been focusing just on the folklore, but I want to try and again fill in any and find any of these stories that I haven't, because here we are nearly 200 episodes into Fireside and nowhere near running out of folktales and nor is there any danger of that. But it seems like the right thing at the moment to be looking for tales that we haven't had a version of, maybe at all, or certainly not in a while. And I thought we hadn't had a, an ep- too many episodes centered on giants. And other than The Legend of Nachmani, which was the basis of the very, very first episode of Fireside on the Giant's Causeway, this is the other big giant tale in the Fairy and Folk Tales of Ireland. Uh, and so I read it, I reread it, and really liked it. And I'm going to share it with you now, my own version of it. We will chat more about it afterwards, of course. But this is The Giant's Stairs on Fireside. The Giant's Stairs There was once a great castle known as Ronane's Manor. It was recognizable for its high walls and vast numbers of chimneys, which shot out smoke from every corner, so that no matter which way you looked at the castle, it looked the same. Each chimney also had the old and hard-carved coat of arms of the proud House Renane. But Lord and Lady Renane had only one child, whom they named Philip, after Philip II, Bane of Britain and King of Spain. When the baby was born, he sneezed, which was considered a sign of good luck, that the boy's head was clear and his senses sharp. I wish someone had told me that, for every time I sneeze, which is far higher than the average bear, I feel more and more congested and my senses blunt as a kitchen knife. When Philip was old enough to read, he tore the ABC pages out of his first books, seeing them as apparently beneath his intelligence. The child's proud parents were sure this was a sign of Philip's impending genius. But despite their love and protection and the high castle walls of Renane Manor, there came a night seven years into Philip's short life that the boy disappeared. 
Every last corner of the manor, including every one of its many long chimneys, was searched for the missing child. Search parties were hired and rewards were promised, but no amount of wealth and years of searching ever gave Lord and Lady Remain closure over whatever happened to the lost Philip. But in the village near Ronane Manor, there lived and worked a blacksmith named Robert Kelly. Kelly was skilled at his trade and popular around the town. He was invited to sing at weddings and christenings, and because of this, he was a valued gossip, for Robert Kelly knew everyone's business. One night the smith had a dream that he saw the young Philip Renane. The boy was mounted on a majestic white horse and didn't look a day over seven, even though that had been the age when he had disappeared and it had been seven years since at the time of Robin Kelly's dream. The stolen child told the blacksmith that he had been kidnapped by the giant Mahan McMahon and had been under his tutelage and service for seven years. But you, Robin Kelly, the boy told the smith, you will end my servitude. If you rescue me, you will be rewarded for the rest of your days. And how do I know this isn't just a dream? The understandingly skeptical blacksmith asked. The boy replied, Well, you can take this as proof. Now hurry! The white horse upon which Philip Renane sat reared up and kicked at Robin Kelly in the forehead. The blacksmith thought he was surely dead from the trauma but instead he woke up sweating in his bedsheets. Kelly was glad to be alive, but more than surprised to discover that he still wore the blood and a bruise of a horse's kick upon his forehead. This was all the proof Robin Kelly needed. He had to rescue Philip Renane from the giant. Now young Philip had been quite scarce on details, but the mention of the giant Mahan McMahon was all that Robin Kelly needed. After all, everyone in his village and every village near the cliffs knew of the giant steps. Huge carvings all the way up a cliff's edge, far out in the bay over rough waves. Steps that looked as old as the rocks rising from the sea. Steps too large for a person to climb, never mind walk up. But the blacksmith, like any other good gossip, knew of the stories of the giant's palace appearing to those who dared to approach the giant's steps. This dream had made a believer of Robert Kelly. The giant's stairs were surely where he would find the stolen child. But how to get there? Kelly was no sailor and certainly didn't have his own boat, but he did have a lot of friends. And one Tom Clancy, Another professional spoofer and gossip offered to aid the blacksmith on his wild giant chase. If they succeeded, they could tell stories about it for the rest of their lives. And if it was all just a fever dream, Clancy could slag Kelly over this long after death. Clancy and Kelly sailed the skiff from the harbour out that night when the sky was clear and the water calm. They approached the giant steps which, depending on the angle you looked at them, were either the masterwork of gigantic skilled craftsmen or a mere trick to the eye of nature. Nevertheless, the two approached. They both looked higher and higher up the jagged stones, and for all the steps, there was no castle or even cave. 
Robert Kelly became disheartened. I'm a fool for dragging us out here, and all over a dream. You're right there, and I never let you forget this one, said the smug Clancy. But as the two were about to turn and sail for home, a ray of light beamed on the face of the rock, which was strange as it was midnight. Stranger still, the light grew into the shape of a door, a door which grew until it appeared to have a world on the other side, an entrance to a great chamber, a chamber fit for a king, or maybe even for a giant. Clancy sailed the ship into the great light, and having crossed the threshold, the pair found themselves in the cavernous docks of a castle. They tied up the boat, but then Clancy said, I won't tie the rope too tight. I'll stay on board in case we need to make a quick getaway, or in case, you know, you don't come back. The blacksmith couldn't really complain. His friend had already brought him this far. But as he was venturing into the unknown alone, where finding a murderous, malevolent giant was the ideal, Robin Kelly took his largest and sharpest plough iron for protection. If only it could be permanently hot from the forge, he thought, that would be some weapon. Robin Kelly proceeded alone up the stairs and into the main chambers of the castle. There he found the giant. It was not just man's size that the blacksmith found incomprehensible, but his age. The giant had a long grey beard, which had grown so long that it appeared to be fastened like vine roots onto the stone table where he sat. At the sooty smell of the blacksmith, the giant awoke. He stood up with such a swift force that the stone table shattered to a thousand clashing pebbles as the giant tore away his jungle of a beard. Who are you? the giant thundered. How did you get in here? And what do you want? Robin Kelly attempted to sum up any of the courage he had left behind at the boat. My name is, is Robert Kelly. I, I am a blacksmith from the mainland, and, and, and I come to rescue Philip Renane from your charge. His service ends this day. Who sent you? asked Mahan McMahon. No one sent me. I come on my own charge. The giant was clearly intrigued. And you come to rescue Philip? He is a good worker, and he has benefited greatly from my mastery of iron and brass. I am impressed you found me, but you must be brave as well as clever to get this far. Or lucky and stupid, of course. The giant's unpleasant grin showed many crooked, rotten, or missing teeth. It made the blacksmith feel he would never find a smile appealing again. I'll tell you what, said the giant. I'll give you a chance. Come and look through all of my pages. I will allow you one guess at which one is Philip. If you guess correctly, you both go free. Guess wrong, and your life is forfeit. The giant man McMahon led the blacksmith Robin Kelly to a lower-down basement. The blacksmith was sickened to discover that Philip Renane was far from the only stolen child. The cellar was full of children, all of the same age, clothing, and each one identical. 
This was either an enchantment or the giant had prepared for just this kind of challenge. Choose one, Mahan said again with a dreadful smile. But remember, if you guess wrong, you die. No pressure. Robin Kelly thought he was well and truly goosed. He had never met Philip Renane. He had seen him once in a dream, a dream of all things, where neither sight nor sound is to be trusted. Dreams that are so painfully experienced and just as easily forgotten. Still, the blacksmith kept a calm composure as he walked amongst the sea of identical children, each clad in green. I only have one shot at this, Kelly knew. Perhaps with a kind word I can charm this giant and get him to give me a hint at who is the right child. I have to say, blacksmith said to giant, these are a fine collection of pages you have here. Uh, considering not one of them has seen home or sunlight in years, they all look healthy and well-nourished. You must be as fine a host, lord, and master as ever lived on or off the south coast. You have a good eye, said Mahan McMahon, and very gracious of you to say so. Give me your hand, for you seem a kind and honest fellow, for a blacksmith. The giant extended his massive paw, which looked like a skin-covered banquet table. Robin was afraid to shake the giant's hand, thinking he would surely break every one of his own bones. But nor did he want to be rude, so Kelly offered McMahon his plow iron to shake. The giant grabbed the iron and twisted it like a blade of grass, leaving nothing but a splintered piece of metal. All of the boys in the room began to laugh, and through the laughter, Robin Kelly was sure he heard someone call his name. He frantically turned to see where the voice was coming from, and before Mahan McMahon could smell a rat, the blacksmith did what he had been doing since waking from the dream. He took a leap of faith. Looking in the direction he believed the voice came from, Kelly said, May I die otherwise if this is not Philip Renane. The rest of the children gave a deafening cheer. Yay, they cried. It is Philip. The blacksmith grabbed the stolen child and turned to see what the giant thought of having lost their wager. But Robin could no longer see Mahan McMahon, or his pages, or even the castle. He seemed to sink back into a dream and woke up on the giant stairs on the wave-splashed cliff, with Philip Renane safely in his custody. There were plenty of gossips around to tell of Robert Kelly's fearless rescue of Philip from the giant Mahan McMahon. But some doubted that the rescued son was Philip Renane at all. For even though it had been seven years since his kidnapping, the child still appeared to be seven. He had not aged a day in his entire service of the giant. But Robin Kelly convinced the naysayers by pointing to the boy's blue eyes that he got from his mother and the foxy red hair from his father. And Lord and Lady Renane didn't doubt one bit that the Revenant was their only beloved child. They had long lost hope of finding Philip, but could never let him go for lack of closure. Seeing him alive and well, and not a day older than the day he disappeared, brought them a happiness they had only known in dreams. And as for dreams... 
The dream of Robert Kelly, the blacksmith, made him a rich man for the rest of his days, and a legend of stories long after that. And Philip Renane lived a long and happy life, renowned for his skills with brass and iron. It was thought he had learned in his seven-year service of the giant Mahan McMahon. The giant's steps remain carved into the cliffside. If you were summoned, would you brave the climb? The End I Know The Face is a movie podcast on the Headstuff Podcast Network, hosted by me, Stephen Portio. And me, Andrew Carroll. Our show is all about character actors, the type of performers you'll see pop up in supporting roles in blockbusters, the type of people you know the faces but not the names. Each episode we pick one particular character actor and discuss a couple of their movies, shining a light on the performer's career while giving listeners plenty of movie recommendations. So the show is a must for cinema lovers. Subscribe to I Know That Face wherever you get podcasts and follow us on Twitter at I Know That Face P1. And that is the tale of the giant stairs on Fireside. I hope you all enjoyed it. A wonderfully crafted, uh, very self-contained tale, again, with a very European, Germanic, just real concise nature to it, with a, with a great cast. I loved this. I loved the introduction of it straight away, this, um, this starting with this description of Renane Manor with the chimneys rising from every corner, so it looks the same no matter which way you look at it. Um, which is how the Titanic Museum is designed in Belfast. It's designed that no matter which way you look at it, it looks like the Titanic's bow is coming out at you. It's an incredible building. But I loved this as this set piece, even though we don't spend any of the time of the story in Ronane Manor. It's nice that we get this this setup, this kind of of Wayne Manor, as it were, and this child born with huge amount of promise and this wonderful thing of him sneezing, which was considered good luck, and tearing the ABC pages out of his books and all, and this was the idea that he was going to be great and a genius, and then he is just spirited away, he is just kidnapped and disappears. And you have to think that this being, this this story probably came out around Ireland, or was collected around the early to mid-19th century, and the idea of of any lost loved one but particularly a child is is of course so horrifying even today and we live in a, t- in a time of immense connectivity and communication so that there is there is always hope and there's places you can turn but this is a time where someone disappears that's probably them gone and especially if it's someone younger and so you can imagine this is this is a tale you could specifically root in something that probably happened you know, as a child of a lord or lady disappearing and the stories that would rise up around of whatever happened to the child, whether they had died, whether they went to live with another family or whether they were taken into the service of a giant. And our giant, well, our hero, first of all, is is Robert Kelly or nicknamed Robin Kelly, which I really, really liked as well because I, I have a good friend in Wicklow Town called Robin Kelly, so I had him in my head while I was doing this, so this one's for you, Kelly. Um, and Robin Kelly has this dream of Philip, and I was very intrigued in in the almost uh, Tiernanog-esque rules of living in a giant's castle, in that 
the child Philip is seven when he's kidnapped and he remains seven and all of the children we see later in the story uh, that he has kidnapped and we're not sure if this is a trick of the giant if there actually are all of these kids there or if it is just a a spell of some kind or an enchantment to trick and uh, trip up um, Robert Kelly but the idea that they all are the same age and they all wear the same clothing it gives it a very cultish very sinister feel Um, but this idea that seven is the age that the giant kidnaps all of these children and that is the age that they stay as long as they are in his service. And for his part, he seems to train these boys well. Um, they are working, which they shouldn't be doing so young, but the idea that this is where mortals could get this almost superhuman skill would be to train with someone from the other world as, as a giant essentially would be. And so Robert has this dream and he ha- gets kicked in the head with the horse and he wakes up with the kick in his head and has to go off and, and find him because of this proof. And he has this friend, Tom Clancy, who sails them out and they find these giant stairs that they that they know about, that everyone knew about and that there, there was always stories about these carvings into the wall and that they were so large they could only occupy a giant. So all of that is very, very similar to the Giant's Causeway, you know, that which is another coastal rock formation although a very very unusual one which is why it's so famous and iconic um in ireland and and pretty much around the world as it's one of our greatest uh, our most famous tourist attractions and that that was also built by giants and so we have it's nice that there are other cases of different kinds of rock formation and other places that is thought as of course would be the home to giants or creatures of the other world and so they sail out to this place, and it seems to open up this great beam of light, almost like a stargate, essentially, opens up that they can sail into. And Mahan McMahon is inside, and this image of a giant whose beard is essentially like welded, molded to the stone table. That was that was an image I adored, that he was so old and like possibly hadn't, certainly hadn't left his... It's unknown. That I like when these folktales, when they, they raise more questions and they kind of get your imagination going. So it made me wonder, it's, it, it, does he kidnap these children himself? Does he summon them? You know, if his beard is literally rooted to this table, he certainly can't leave his house depending on how long it is, but so he can possibly move around but always has to return to this table. So does he have other minions? Does he have people? Or is there just an enchantment that brings these kidnapped children to his service? But that is the image that Robert Kelly goes in and sees the giant in. And the giant is, of course, impressed, as characters usually are in these kind of tales, very impressed with the bravery of a mortal. There's very few of us who would go to face a giant, especially an ancient child-kidnapping giant with beard attached to the table. And so he gives Robert Kelly the sporting chance to find out. And in... The actual twist on how Robert wins over the giant is it's one of these ones that it's it's trickery and it's uh it's it's a very big thing in Irish folklore, particularly just like a wit and a and a, a cunning that he does essentially trick the the giant by complimenting him, but thinks thinks it will have another effect, thinks by complimenting him he might get him to step something up, but ends up causing this laughter, this this forge iron that he brought in, like this long metal rod, 
that he brought in as protection, as his only protection against a giant, that he uses this to shake the giant's hand, to not break every bone in his own hand. I adored that as well, but that this, when this rod is just crushed to smithereens, like it's crushed to dust, that this causes all of the children to laugh, and from the laughter, Robert hears the voice, and still has to take the big chance, but guesses correctly. And as also is a, is a common trope, when mortals visit other worlds with fairies or anything like this, or gods, they have their moment of clarity and they win the day, and then it's as if none of it happened. There's no sign of, there's no death of man, there's no mis- mystery solved. It's just as if they have both, as, as, as if it was all a dream in the first place, but Philip Renane was still with him, and Philip Renane still was seven years old, seven years after being kidnapped. So we get to bring him home and he gets gets to break, grow up with his family and grows up with this great skill in brass and, uh, and iron. And Robin Kelly becomes a very, very rich man because of it and through the end of his days and that's, this story still exists. But the giant Mahan McMahon is still out there. An incredible name as well. Wonderfully Irish. Uh, there was a Dermot McDermott in, in my school uh, when I was growing up. So these do, these obscenely Irish names do... Uh, still happen, and I am here for them. I adore them. But that is how that is how this tale wraps up, and very just very streamlined, very concise. A real fetch quest, a summoning, a literal a literal call to adventure, uh, of a totally random normal person, unconnected with the Renane family in any way. It isn't his family who goes searching him. That would have made it more of a a typical kind of knight or kingly heroic tale, but this is just the, it's Luke Skywalker, it's the call to action um, from obscurity, and um, he has the dream and goes and rescues, rescues the princess, or in this case, the prince, the lordling, and is rewarded for it. So, very, there's a real cleanness and clearness to this tale, which is why I really loved it. And it's always fun playing a giant as well. There's, there's a real, you know, there is a real go-to because I like when you read characters and you have to think about how that being would talk. It, it of course is very typical for them to be very deep and loud and slow, but I like actually thinking about why that would be and just what that would be like for a mortal on the ground, hearing something and imagining. Giants are fun as well because giants are a different size in everyone's head. When we did uh, the Welsh mythology and we did the story of Bendigaid Vran, who was the king of Wales who had never been able to be in a, a building because no building was large enough to house him, and the Irish built one that was big enough for him. You had to imagine this person so large that couldn't fit in any castle, no matter how tall. And imagine how big a structure would have to be to go around them again. But for this person to also still be a character, essentially a human being, who had like a wife and children who were normal size. And the total contradiction of this is part of the real fun of giants and why giants are one of the big staples in, I'd say, essentially every world's culture, you know, who doesn't love a good giant story. But I will wrap things up now, and that is us. That is us for this evening. Um, I'm recording this at night time. Um, we've two more days left of rehearsals. We're getting up early again tomorrow um, to finish off a few costume bits. 
And then, yeah, we're flying two days. I'm very, very excited to go to New Zealand. Excited to take the podcast back on the road. Um, so all the usual things. Follow me over on Instagram at Fireside Bard. Share this episode if you liked it. Tell your friends. Uh, you can buy Garden Sea, my book, uh, my poetry book from headstuff.org or from Amazon uh, for Kindle. Uh, you can support the podcast directly at Headstuff Plus. All of the links are in the description below, as is the source for this book. Next week, we have uh, a wonderful tale about uh, a legendary king in Killarney named O'Donoghue, um, who ends up helping out a young man with his rent. It is a very potent story for me personally that's called Rent Day. I look forward to sharing it with you. I'll see you all. You'll hear me all next time. And remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. Thank <laughs> you.